So many people are looking to live happier, more stress-free lives. We provide interviews from mental health experts across various fields because you know finding quality information isn't always easy. Let's find more sanity together. Welcome back to Sanity Podcast. Today we have Dr. Erica Rosmead to talk about dealing with high-intensity emotions, uncertainty, and disappointment utilizing both dialectical behavior therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. The topics talked about today are useful for various situations and age ranges and can also help with coping with the impacts of COVID-19. Dr. Rosmead is currently a postdoctoral fellow at CBT-DBT California and Harbor UCLA with clinical research and academic backgrounds at Stanford University, NYU, Kaiser Permanente, and Lincoln Medical and Mental Health Center. She has collaborated with Matthew McConaughey's Just Keep Living Foundation and the University of Southern California's Physician Assistance Program to help provide underserved high school students on ways to cope during COVID-19. She also contributes to a weekly blog to assist parents during the pandemic and conducts research and has presented at the Associations for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapy and the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Now on to the interview. All right, Erica, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So one thing that I decided that I wanted to try and do at the beginning of these podcasts is to have people talk about their therapeutic approach briefly and explain why you think that's the way to go. Yeah, totally. So I definitely identify as a cognitive behavioral therapist mm -hmm. and a dialectical behavioral therapist. And so the acronyms for that are CBT and DBT. Primarily for both of these treatments, they are evidence-based. They're the gold standard. Uh, what that means is that there's a lot of research backing the effectiveness for these treatments. Um, CBT really focuses on looking at the connection between your thoughts, behaviors, and actions. So an example of that is, let's just say you fail a test or your child fails a test or you fail at something at work and that's the situation one thought you could have is shoot i really screwed that up and that's connected to perhaps an emotion of feeling really sad and behaviorally that can look like because you have this idea that you screwed up maybe next time you're not going to speak up at work or you're not going to study for your test so i really work with kids teens and adults to challenge the thoughts and do different behaviors to change the emotions mhm mm okay and then so so cbt is more based in changing the way that we think and then also changing the way we behave to change our beliefs like under yeah. our deep beliefs. So we were, we're happier and healthier and reacting and, and acting better. So now yes. what, what's DBT? Yeah. So DBT is really kind of one step forward. So if you think about a thermometer of an emotion, let's just say there's a thermometer of emotions from a scale of zero to 10 and mm -hmm. 10 is the most intense you've ever felt of anger or sadness and zero is not at all. 
Um, when we get to an emotion of an eight, nine, or 10, so that's really intense emotion. It's really hard to challenge our thoughts or beliefs. Uh, if you think about the last time you were at your 10 out of 10 emotion and someone asked you to challenge your thinking, it's really freaking hard. So, mm-hmm. um, when we get to a 10 out of 10, some people may act more impulsively and, DBT is really about regulating emotions so that you can use more of those cognitive behavioral techniques. So Um, you're telling me that when people are really emotional, they're not rational? (laughs) I've never experienced that in my life ever. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I always say, show me a person who's at a 10 out of 10 of emotion um, and challenge your thinking of like, are you actually making rational decisions? I Mm -hmm. have not found that person. And and I'm thinking about earlier times in my life where somebody was really mad and I was like, oh, maybe you should be acting differently. And that didn't that, no. that didn't go well either. So ever, ever, <laughs> ever. Right? I think challenging a of- when you're at a 10 out of 10 is just super ineffective. Okay. Um, so, so it sounds like maybe your model here and you could tell me if I'm getting the bridge correctly is that you use these DBT or things to like calm down the emotion when emotions are really hot and then use that, uh, afterwards when the person is, is, um, has less emotional intensity to use the CBT skills to work through like evidence to change and see if they're thinking correctly or look at ways that they could act differently. That's more beneficial to them emotionally and actually like, like in their environment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And really DBT at first, um, dialectical behavior therapy was created for people who had more suicidal uh, behaviors and more self-harming behaviors, but now it's actually been adapted for people with anxiety and depression. So I, I really like the concept. We can all get, we all get to a 10 out of 10. So I really like that framework of using the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques when you're at a seven or below of emotion. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm much more of a CBT guy. Like I know about DBT and probably more than, than the average person, but I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in, in DBT at all. So I was actually looking forward, uh, because I know that you're, from my understanding is that you came from more of a CBT background and you're learning and yep. you, and you've gotten more mastery of DBT and you've learned how to marry it, marry them together. Yeah, uh, exactly. and that's something that I've been wondering as well. If I, do, which I'm trying, you know, actively learning DBT now, um, how do I marry it with the CBT? So I think that's going to be like a, you know, interesting to hear what you have to say about some of these strategies you're going to talk about today. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So it sounds like you've been doing, um, some really cool work out in California. Um, I know one foundation and I forgot the name, but I know it's Matthew McConaughey's, uh, foundation. Yeah. It's the just keep living foundation. Cool. And, and it sounds like, was there another foundation or organization too, that you were working through, or is it just that one? Yeah. So it's that one. There's also, I've been working with uh, university of Southern California's, they have a pipeline program helping underserved children. And I'm also going to be working with a couple of other nonprofit foundations in the LA area. Oh, cool. So like, what is the work or that you've been doing like for them? Like what are these presentations or workshops about? Yeah, totally. So basically once the pandemic started, I think a lot of high school students have been really struggling to cope during this time. And so part of my initiation working with these organizations was really to 
give my resources and reach out to them to provide their foundation, their high school students, teachers, coaches with coping skills during the pandemic. But what I really love about the work is that these skills are really helpful for pretty much any human being. And so I'm able to tailor the presentations and workshops to whichever audience I'm really working with. All right. And is, is it really like just skills that help with like this unique COVID situation or is is it more like able to just like for people to work on anything? Yeah, it's really for anything. I mean, I've adapted some of the skills of how to use it during the pandemic, but I actually, when learning these treatments, I use these skills on myself all the time. And so I just thought about, okay, well, what, what am I struggling with right now during the pandemic? What are things that I've really had to face and figuring out how other people are struggling too, but really these skills can be useful for any point in your life from five years old to 90 years old. See, I love that you said that you use them on yourself because the way that I've been trained and I think in our models is that the best way to become a good therapist is to use the skills yourself. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely hard in the moment when you start using the skills yourself Mm because I have to recognize when I'm at my 10 out of 10 of emotion. But I actually, you know, I actually use the skills and then I'm not just preaching, you know, I'm really practicing the skills that I'm teaching my patients. Yeah. And I think it actually gives you like empathy and insight um, as to the barriers or problems that other people might get into trying to implement the skills. Cause you get it. You've been there and yes. you've been like, Oh, this is so hard to do right now. Like I'm just, what, what's the point? Exactly. And even noticing that I forget to use the skills, I think that's where I have the most empathy of like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I totally missed that. And now, and I know them so well, I teach the skills and I still forget to use them sometimes. Yeah, no, exactly. So you think about like, if this is something that you talk about, or I talk about like for hours a day and, and we don't use them or we forget to use them or we choose not to use them at times. You yep. can imagine someone who has working in a totally different field that might also be parenting or doing a whole bunch of other things, maybe not being as like, I, uh, I guess we use the word compliant, but like, like using the skills as often as they probably could. And it very understandably. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it definitely has built my empathy around that. Yeah. All right. So um, in, in these talks and workshops that you have been doing, what have you uh, like been like, what are the skills and the problems that you've been focusing on? Yeah. So there's definitely, there's a, a couple of different skills. I think um, one question that I really like to start off with, and this is primarily in terms of fear mm-hmm. um, to ask like, what's your worst fear? Like, what are you, what's the catastrophe in your mind about what you're experiencing right now? And that's related to the pandemic, but we have fears all the time. And so when, when you get to the core of what your primary fear is, then you can ask yourself, can I work on this? Like, do I have control over this? And if the answer is yes, like let's problem solve this. If the answer is no, if you don't have control over it, that's really where the DBT skills come in on how to tolerate the things you can't control. So I like to start off with that question of what are you really fearing right now? Do you have control? If you have control, let's problem solve. And if you don't, let's figure out what you can do instead. And if I'm sitting here wondering like, well, how do I know if I have enough control or not? Like that I should be doing, you know, the, these skills yeah. that you're talking about, what would you say? 
Well, so I would say one, it might be trial and error. So you may be trying to solve the problem. And if you're getting stuck and if it's not working out, um, then you're probably fighting reality and you probably don't have control. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, what, what ways are you talking to people about? So now I'm, I'm here, I'm at the nine, I'm at the 10 of emotions. I feel like I'm, I'm not in control or other people are telling me like, you're not handling this well. Um, what is it that you're teaching people to do to help bring that down? Yeah. So let me give you an example with me when mm -hmm. the pandemic started. So uh, as you can tell, I'm working from my bedroom and I didn't have a desk that I could use. And so I started using my side table, brought it into my bedroom, had to stack a bunch of books. Um, <laughs> and I was so uncomfortable. I just, in my mind, I was thinking, sure, there's a pandemic, but I'm going to go back to work in two weeks. So Already, I've kind of had an idea I was fighting reality because um, I just wasn't really changing anything. I was just in pain, annoyed at the world, and convinced myself this would only last for like a week or two. Um, but then once I started to actually accept what was going on, I could actually change my situation. So I really had to accept that I was working from home. So I went with my husband to his work. We took his desk. We took his all of his equipment. And I have this work from home setup. And I'm much happier. So I think there's the part of teaching high school students and teachers and coaches. Like, what are you, where are you getting stuck? That's the main part. Where are you really getting stuck? And trying to kind of tease apart uh, the reasons why they're getting stuck. So for me, I was really getting stuck because I was annoyed and in pain. And then I realized it's because I was actually not fully accepting what was happening. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I always say uh, acceptance is, is not an easy thing because it's easy to accept things that are fun and positive and pleasant. But we're asking people to accept things that they don't want to, that are like uncomfortable or make you feel really bad. So how do you help yeah. someone accept a situation that they don't really like. Right. Well, I think the first thing is to really validate that this is one of the hardest skills. This mm. is my favorite because it can be so, it actually can be so life-changing, but I think it's one of the hardest. So really just to know that we're all fighting reality on something. Um, and so sometimes I'll give really small examples. I think if we start too big, we lose people. Mm -hmm. So maybe a smaller example would be, I'm on the way to work and in LA, there's a lot of traffic. So I, if I look on Google maps and it looks like I'm going to be five minutes late to work and I start swerving into lanes, trying to get to work faster and I'm getting more anxious, I'm getting more stressed, I'm getting more overwhelmed. My Google maps time is not changing. And the acceptance part is just taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm going like, I'm going to be late. Okay. Uh, so that's a very small example. But first, the first step is noticing and acknowledging that you actually are fighting reality. Mm -hmm. And is there anything else that people could do besides just saying, well, I just need to accept this? Is there a way to help them bridge it to, to get them more willing to accept or, or that it actually sinks in? Yeah. So I think the the first part is noticing that, okay, there's something that I don't want to accept here. And it makes sense because there's a lot of negative emotions around it. And part of this is if you accept it, you can actually figure out what you can change. Um, 
But accepting does not mean agreeing or liking or approving, right? Accepting is just saying, this is my current situation. You can actually use, so um, dialectical behavior therapy uses a lot of mindfulness. And so where mindfulness comes in is you can actually you know, close your eyes. Once you've identified what you're fighting, you can actually, and part of this is a little bit CBT as well of rehearsing behavior rehearsal in your mind. You imagine what would I be doing if I fully accepted the situation? Mm-hmm. What are different? What would I be thinking? What would I be doing? And actually imagining yourself doing and thinking those things. So it sounds like, like you're saying that acceptance doesn't mean uh, to accept and do nothing. Exactly. Okay. Because I think when people hear acceptance, it, it sounds like, well, you're telling me just to say, well, this is how it is and just, just deal with it. Yeah, I think so. Sometimes acceptance can be enough. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. But what I'm talking about right now is really acceptance uh, is the vehicle for change. Mm-hmm. And sometimes acceptance is enough. Okay. And I, I forget there's that DBT mantra, which I'm, I'm forgetting right now, but it, does that tie, tie into, into this? Well, there there's, I'm trying to think of what mantra you're talking about, but there is talking about like using your wise mind. I don't know if that's what you mean. Uh, the like, give me strength to, um, Oh, Oh, like the AA prayer type of thing. Is that yeah, what you mean? Like, like give me strength to exactly like, accept to the things yeah. I cannot change. And you know, the, uh, no, I'm forgetting, yeah, but yes, it's, it's, the wisdom uh, to know the difference. Yeah. The strength to accept exactly. the things that I, that I can't change, change the things that I can and have the wisdom to know the difference. And I'm butchering exactly. it, but, but something, but it sounds like that is kind of in line with what you're, what you're talking totally. about here. Yeah. I think that's definitely, um, huge. So, and, and let me give you an example of when acceptance might be enough. Mm-hmm. So when, and I'm going to go back to this emotional thermometer. So when your emotions get to a 10 out of 10 and you have an urge to do something that isn't effective, you may have an urge to yell at your partner, yell at your kid, um, engage in self-harming behaviors, binge eat, eat to self-soothe. Any of those things can maybe happen when you're at a 10 out of 10. So instead of acting on that urge, there are actually techniques that you can use to reduce the emotion, which will reduce your urges. Mm. Okay. And, and what sorts of techniques yeah, are, are like, you what, talking about? What do you yeah, do? What are these <laughs> techniques? Let us know. Yeah. So, okay. So this is what, this is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I, you know, didn't have some mascara on, maybe I would do it right now. But part of it, it there, so there's a skill called tip the temperature. And basically what you do is you get a big bowl where your whole face could fit in it, a big bowl of ice cold water, maybe put 10, 15 ice cubes in, and you put your face, your entire face into this bowl of ice cold water and you hold your breath for 30 seconds, it activates the dive response, which is actually, uh, oh, mammals have this. And if you've ever been scuba diving, uh, this actually activates as well. And basically it's the body's way to conserve energy. Your organs start to kind of shut down in a way. So if you're at a 10 out of 10 of emotion and you do this for 30 seconds, most times for most people, it will bring you down to like a five or six. Mm. How many seconds did you say? 
30 seconds. When and I tried it out, I only lasted like 15. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could hold my breath for 30 seconds, but I haven't tried since I was like 10. Um, yeah. But, yeah so it's I'm, really I'm assuming, hard. It's, it's so cold. <laughs> and I'm assuming you, you could take your head in and out as, as, as needed. Yeah. So you could try it like over and over again. Um, I actually made my husband try it out and his mm -hmm. heart rate came, went from a 75 to a 43. Wow. In, yeah. in 30 seconds? In 15 seconds. In 15 seconds. All yes. Right. <laughs> Let, let's say after 30 seconds, I'm dunking my head in this, this ice cold, cold water and I'm still like, you know, so I went from a 10 to a eight and a half. Like, yeah. can, can I just do it again? Like repeat, repeat this. Is there a problem well, if I do it like multiple times? So actually, um, then it's, if, if you go from a 10 to an eight and a half, then it's actually done its job. Okay. All right. So what's so, the goal? What's the goal? Like what's the, yeah. the maximum minimum goal here? Well, the, the goal is to not act on the urge that you have when you get to a 10 out of 10. It also can help bring down. So if you go to an 8.5 8, 8 out of 10, you could try it again. It may not work. You could try other skills, um, and which I'll go over in a minute. There are some skills like self-soothing, using your five senses to actually feel good. Mm -hmm. And then the other part is if you're at an 8.5, it may just be tolerating that moment until it comes down. Cause our, whatever goes up must come down until you get to a seven. And then you get into more of the change or problem solving behaviors. Unfortunately, dunking your head in ice cold water does not solve your life problems. That is, that is, that is very true. Uh, it just helps you bring it down. So maybe you can solve yeah. or accept. It sounds like solve or accept are, are two major exactly. pathways. Um, and just a concept for everybody to know the, the body doesn't like to physically go up and down at the same time. So say that someone's getting anxious and their heart's starting to race, they're breathing more heavily, they're getting tense, they're sweating. If you could start bringing a physiological reaction down, the body doesn't want to be up and down. So then it starts pulling everything down. Yeah. And so I think that's what you're talking about here, that you dunk your, your face in the water. It slows down physiological processes. And so the rest of the body has to come down with it because that's just what the body does. Yeah, exactly. And even and because, you know, earlier when I was talking about thoughts, behaviors, emotions are all connected because these physiological symptoms are down. Now, maybe you're not having as negative thoughts. Uh, maybe you're not having those urges anymore. So it's all connected. I really see it as if you can disrupt the, the model of emotion, behavior, thoughts, physiological symptoms at any point, you've disrupted the cycle enough where you can actually start changing the way that you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have learned or heard about deep breathing, whether themselves or kids or, you know, everybody knows about deep breathing, uh, yeah. kind of the same, the same principle here, bring down the physiological in order to, uh, bring down the emotional. Yes, exactly. And you could do actually part of this skill is pace breathing. There's another component where you could okay. do pace breathing. Sometimes I know, well, you know, if people are more anxious, sometimes it's hard to engage in the pace breathing. So I, you know, the, the tip, the temperature, that's what it's called, I think is the fastest way to bring it down. And then maybe you could do pace breathing okay. after. And, and anything else that's in this tip to temperature model besides the pace breathing and the, the, uh, the cold water? Yeah. So there's tea, which is for 
tip the temp, the I in tip is intense exercise. So this is where you can actually, let's say you're ruminating in your mind where you keep thinking about maybe saying something in your friend group that you didn't mean to say, or you got fired or you got broken up with and you keep ruminating in your mind and it's increasing your level of emotion. Intense exercise may mean going outside, running as fast as you possibly can, or doing as many jumping jacks as you can for a few minutes to get your, you're actually getting your heart rate up, but you're so focused on what you're doing that you're no longer thinking about the thing that got you really stressed out. And I would imagine that you're actually burning energy too. So that's part of, because after you work out, everything Exactly. Work out intensely, everything drops. So it's almost like we we use that that diver response with the cold water to bring everything down, or we bring everything really up physically through exercise to then at the end have the uh, drop down effect and, and and bring you bring you down. Yeah, exactly. And then th- does the pace breathing work on the same the, the same like principle? It's just sort of and, and what's the difference between? I mean, obviously, pace breathing means that you're just at a regular pace, and deep breathing is is slower. Uh, but, um, why use pace versus deep breathing? Yeah. So that for the pace breathing, there's actually two components to it. There's pace breathing with something called a progressive muscle relaxation. Mm. So this is also very much in line with a CBT cognitive behavioral therapy technique, where if you are able, the, the whole point of the pace breathing is to really have the exhale longer than the inhale. So when you're breathing in, you actually want the exhale to be longer, which will slow, again, slow your system down. And a lot of times, uh, physiologically and physically, we tense our muscles when we're stressed. Mm -hmm. So progressive muscle relaxation is a technique to squeeze and tense tense your muscles and then release them. So you're forcing your muscles to relax by tensing them up. And both of those pair together can create this really nice calming effect. Okay. Uh, so that, that's the, the tip or tip to temperature sort of technique and area. And is that, oh, and is there anything else? Like, is that the main focus of these talks or have you been going into other areas as well? Oh yeah. So I definitely have been going into other areas. I think this is the first one. If Mm -hmm. you are feeling kind of paralyzed and don't know what to do, This skill is just a really nice way to get grounded, but there are some other skills that you can actually do to feel good, right? Like these skills may not make you feel good. They might just make you feel less bad. So I also think doing something for yourself, one thing every single day to create some positive emotions will be really, really helpful. So one skill I teach is about using your five senses to actually get grounded and create some positive emotions. Like um, one example is burning your favorite candle and just watching the flame, taking a bath, eating something. And there's even so far to go, like if you're going to eat your favorite ice cream, rather than mindlessly eat your ice cream and perhaps eat the whole pint without even knowing, there's actually a way where you can be more mindful about the eating. So it actually feels good and tastes better. Mm. And, you know, my mindfulness meditation is like a hot, hot topic now, just like 
in society. And for yeah. those of you guys that ever did like headspace or, um, parts of the calm app, like that, that's generally mindfulness geared. So you might n- not know that you've been doing mindfulness meditation, but, <laughs> but you have been, um, I would imagine that if you practice mindfulness meditations, it would make you better at this part where you're doing like the five sense grounding, which sounds like a mindfulness grounding Mm -hmm. or eating mindfully. And it sounds like taking the bath. It's kind of just like being in the moment and and experiencing it rather than having your mind thinking about everything that you're might be worried about. Exactly. I think, you know, for, you know, for food, people have sometimes a tricky relationship with food. So it's like, if you're going to go and eat something, you might as well enjoy it. Hmm. Right. Rather than feel shame about it after. And so the mindfulness is just being really aware in the moment, what's going on around you, what's going on inside of you. Um, And for the mindfulness that we talk about in therapy, it's really about focusing your mind on something like your breath but then also expanding your mind to know what's going on outside of you. And both of those things together can actually, there's so much research to show that having a mindfulness practice, not necessarily meditation, but just some type of mindfulness practice every day for three months can reduce suffering and increase happiness. That's great. And I know there's different ways that mindfulness um, help people. I know one is that it helps you become here and now focused because generally yeah. when we think about the past, we're thinking about how we messed up or how somebody wronged us or something, how something went poorly. Mm-hmm. And when we think about the future, oftentimes you're thinking about how things are, might not go so well or something bad might happen. So if you're focusing on, on the now, um, and then, then you're not having a lot of these negative predictions or negative memories, which makes you more grounded. Yeah, exactly. And that actually kind of brings me to like another part that I think is really cool about dialectical behavior therapy, which is that there are these dialectics. Mm. And what that means is that there are two things that are seemingly opposite. Well, they are opposite. And it, it seems like they can't exist at the same time. So you could think about one dialectic is thinking about the past, like you're stuck in the past, thinking about where you went wrong. The other side is thinking about the future, worrying about what you need to do tomorrow, worrying about what's going to happen in the pandemic. The goal is actually to get in the middle. Mm. And so the middle is the here and the now. So there's a spectrum and these dialectics come up all the time. And the goal is like, once you find that balance, once you get in the middle, uh, that's where you're that's where the reduction in suffering can really come from. It kind of makes me think about um, me when I'm trying to eat healthier. Like I want to eat really like amazingly tasty food, but I also yeah. want to eat like really healthy food. Um, and it seems, and I mean, unless you're like, I mean, I know some people are really good cooks and they're able to just like combine those together. Not but me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not, not me. I mean, even though I'm doing this from my kitchen, um, what I do here is very, very <laughs> basic. <laughs> um, so it sounds like a dialectic there, like so sort of finding it in the middle where it's healthy, but it tastes good enough so you could yes you could eat it and it sounds like um at least coming from this dieting sort of metaphor that it makes it more sustainable that if you find yourself in the middle that you're able to persist longer yeah totally because i think with you know with food on maybe on one side will be you know sticking to this really intense diet of like raw food and vegan. And that's totally fine for some people on the other side, it might be binging junk food. So everyone's spectrum might be different. Everyone's middle might look different, but it's thinking all about we're as humans, we flip flop so mm-hmm. easily between the both between the two opposites. So I think if we're able to get in the middle, you know, with food or 
with our emotions, that is where we will have this kind of this aspect of feeling really peaceful. So how does someone know that they're in a dialectic like situation? How can they identify it and maybe like put it down on paper or, or, or mentally sketch it down? Yeah. So let me, let me actually give you, cause the dialectics, um, they're, they exist all over the world and in, in your mind on so many different topics. So let me give you an example of one that I think everyone relates to. So remember how I said, like you're at a 10 out of 10 of emotion. Mm -hmm. So think about when you're at your 10 out of 10, what are you doing? Um, maybe you're feeling more hot, more mood dependent, more moody. That's your emotion mind. On the other hand, um, there's something called reasonable mind, which is basically when, I don't know, when you're doing your taxes, um, if someone is doing, giving me hand surgery, I want them to be in reasonable mind, which is just the logic, just facts, no emotion. So the middle is actually called your wise mind, where you're using both emotion and logic. So if you find yourself in a dialectic, you might notice that you are in an extreme. You're either all or nothing, you're hot or you're cold, but something just doesn't feel right. Like you just don't feel like you're really getting all aspects of what's going on around you. So if you're, you know, if you're dating someone and you're start yelling at them and they did something to piss you off. And later on, you're like, shoot, I shouldn't have done that. That might be an idea for you to think maybe I was in a dialectic. Okay. So you sort of get that emotional sense that, or, or I mean, I got caught to verbal, but you get this sense that something didn't go right. Something didn't go as well as it could have. Like something feels uncomfortable here. Yeah. Like something seems a little off. And I think that's really vague, but you know, in terms of the emotion mind or reasonable mind, that seems more concrete. Like we all get in our own emotion or reasonable mind. So you can actually jot down, like, when am I in my emotion mind? When am I in this reasonable mind? And what does it look like to be in wise mind? Mm -hmm. Or with eating, you can write down, what are the things I'm eating when I'm on this one extreme? What am I eating when I'm on the other side of the extreme? And what does it look like to be in the middle? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, if you're able to really... Um, understand what you're doing in each of those extremes. It will help you figure out if you're in that dialectic. So, uh, you know, a lot of people that like have anxiety or intense emotions, they start mistrusting their emotions. Like my emotion must be wrong. I must be feeling wrong. And they start doubting whether they should yeah. be feeling a certain way. So wh what do you say to somebody that says, well, that's great. You have this wise mind that has the emotion and the reasoning, but I never trust the emotion. Like, I don't know if I should trust that. How could I possibly take that into consideration here? Yeah, that's really hard too, especially when I'm in emotion mind sometimes. It tricks me that I'm in my wise mind. I don't know if that's <laughs> ever happened to you when you're like at your 10 out of 10 and you're like, nope, this is this is definitely the wise thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, that definitely happens to me. So I think the idea is when you're in that wise mind place, you're usually not questioning. It's really this kind of intuitive knowing. Um, and there are actually some practices that you can get more comfortable with your wise mind. In the moment, you may not know it, but it's kind of like working out and flexing that muscle. We all have the ability to really trust our emotion, but it definitely does take practice. So I think knowing when you feel that intuitive knowing um, or even just when you made a decision that incorporated how you feel and the facts, that's technically wise mind. So 
it, it takes practice, but I think part of it is knowing when you made a decision that you felt really good about. So even when your emotions are really high, is, is there information that you could then pull from that to get, get more towards that, that wise mind? Yeah. Yes. And it definitely takes a lot of practice. I think when at first you may just be looking at what are the things I do that I don't like or that I regret or that are ineffective. Like, where do I get into trouble? So again, on one side of the extreme, it could be self-harming suicidal behaviors. For others, it could just be feeling more on edge and being more irritable and you know, and maybe raising your voice or yelling at your kid more. So it's looking at the behaviors of out, out outside of it. Um, where, where are the behaviors you don't really like or mm-hmm. that get you into trouble or make you feel worse? And then you can figure out that's my emotion mind. I think you have to kind of humanize it a little bit and know what your emotion mind looks like. Yeah. And it sounds, but like in those situations, it sounds like every single time was having high emotion, even though they didn't like the way they reacted, it signaled something that they weren't happy with, or they were uncomfortable with like their child's behavior or how a partner is, is, um, treating them or reacting to them. So like what, what set off the emotion might be spot on for their experience. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, things can definitely be spot on. And I, for their experience, I also think, you know, all we can do, unfortunately, all we can do is actually change the way that we're responding. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do know behaviorism and we know how to influence people, but unfortunately we can't control people. Um, that would be nice, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than having changing my reaction to my husband, I'd love to change some of his behaviors. And so all we really focus on is where, where do you like want to be ideally? How do you want to act in these situations? What actually feels good for you? And once you identify that, there are ways that you can actually just practice, even just asking yourself, is this a wise mind decision? Sometimes that can, can get you thinking a little bit differently or don't necessarily trust your emotions. They might be true. They might not, but just have a little bit of curiosity about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this, in this, um, this area that, that you do, were there other skills that you're, that you're working on as well with people or is it mostly yeah, the tip so, and the wise mind? Yeah. So this is, um, these, you know, talking about the wise mind and the tip, the temperature and the self-soothing, all of those are really more acceptance based, mm-hmm. right? You're not really doing things to change. It's more about tolerating the moment and thinking of, you know, the wise mind isn't really a skill. It's more of a way of being. And then on the other hand, that's where the problem solving really comes in, which more of the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. And, you know, that's how I kind of think about it. That's really where that comes in about when you do have control. What can you do to feel better? Mm hmm. And um, what sorts of things have you been talking to people about in that realm? Yeah. So if you think about, again, during, during this pandemic, there are things that we do have control over. We have control over what we eat, how much we exercise, um, your, your nighttime routine. I think 
because when there's a lot of uncertainty, it's really important to focus on what you do have control over and getting a lot of consistency. So there's a lot of research to show that having a consistent schedule can actually, you know, put you in a headspace to feel like you have more control over something. So you can actually think about if you make a Venn diagram, things I have control over, things I don't. Not really a Venn diagram, more just like circles. Uh-huh. And if you put all of your focus over to the things you do have control over, um, then we may, you know, challenging your thoughts can be one thing that you have control over. Or if you have a lot of fear, you know, anxiety tells us to avoid. So if I'm working from home and I don't, you know, it might be a lot easier to avoid. I will clean my kitchen and my house before Mm -hmm. I write my notes for therapy. And so it could be about rather than avoiding, how do I engage? And it could be setting up little exposure experiments with myself to write a schedule and, and do these things I have to do and rate my mood before and after. Yeah. And, and a principle that, uh, you know, a big CBT principle is that when you approach what you're scared of and it's, and it's relatively safe over time, it drops the anxiety versus, um, when you avoid what you're anxious about increases anxiety. And that's why you'll see, uh, like say the very simply like phobias, if somebody is scared of dogs or water, the more they avoid dogs or water, the more scared and the more they have to distance themselves and, and avoid. So approach makes you feel better. Avoidance makes you feel worse. Right. Except like, you know, in the immediate, it feels nice to avoid that, you know, that dog, right? Like right away you have a drop in anxiety, but then you learn, oh, in order for my anxiety to go down, I have to avoid this dog, which is just, you know, reinforcing that cycle and making your anxiety increase. So this is all about approaching, approaching, approaching. And when it gets to be too much, And when you have urges to do things that are ineffective, then that's when you use these other like self-soothing or more acceptance skills. But the whole idea is really to change your life, to get it to where there's a lot of meaning behind the life that you're living. Yeah. And that's a great point that when you do approach what scares you, you do feel worse a bit in the short run. And hopefully by the time you're done, you feel better. Uh, But it's more of like a long-term strategy of feeling better. So you're going through some emotional pain now to help future you have less emotional pain with the same situation. Yep, exactly. And that can be really hard for people because it sounds so, if this is your first time hearing that, it doesn't really make sense. Um, And it's not naturally humans avoid discomfort. So it's Mm -hmm. a really hard you know, sometimes it's really difficult to get someone to move and approach when naturally we want to avoid discomfort. Yeah. And, and I think that's where, um, if, it, if it's really hard that that's where like therapy comes in, you know, like when yeah. people come in and they're scared of embarrassment, uh, I will go out on the streets of Manhattan with them and we will sing and dance and march and read speeches. And I've done, um, whole job interviews on the street corner, because if you could wow. do a job interview by Grand Central, where there's thousands of people walking around you, um, it might make it a little bit easier to do a job interview in front of three people, even though the street people yes. are having a bigger evaluation of you. But the idea is that we go outside and we do the things that that scare you so you can learn that you could tolerate and be less scared of it. Yeah. And that's a good point. I forgot because I was also living in New York and actually uh, I was running a social anxiety group for teens. And, you know, if you know anything about New Yorkers, their faces can be really scary. And so (laughs) with this 
with after this eight week social anxiety group, we went to the subway platforms and literally sang and welcomed people off the train, which is scary for anyone. And can you imagine? It's so, so scary for someone who has anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you can do that, if you can go to the platform and sing and welcome New Yorkers off the subway during rush hour, you're golden to speak up in class. Yeah, exactly. And I, I would do that uh, in front of Grand Central. Uh, we, yeah. we, would, we would block <laughs> doors. Like, you know, there's a bunch of doors, there's like eight doors and we would block like a door and we would greet everybody that was coming, <laughs> that was oh my coming gosh. in. So same, like, you know, same, but just in a different, a different area. Yeah. yeah Grand and, Central is really, really bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. My office is cl- uh, close by there. So it makes it easy <laughs> for me to, uh, to get to. So, th- so that's a great point. But, um, in the way that, that you practice, it sounds like when you're, when you're doing exposure and the exposure has tilted you over the edge that you advise using one of the, um, coping skills. Yeah. So like if you're, let's say you're about to do an exposure, but then you get to a point where you're like, I can't handle this and I'm going to do something that will be harmful. Then that's the point where we bring in the other strategies, but I'm very, you know, a lot of this is actually in, in dialectical behavior therapy. A lot of it is actually emotional exposure. And Mm -hmm. so it's just about experiencing the emotion without acting on the urge. So I'm always thinking about exposure, but sometimes it looks a little bit different. Okay. Yeah. I I see what you're saying. So, um, um, more of like, uh, feeling and learning how to tolerate feeling bad. Yeah. And sort of sitting through it, but then when you can't do it anymore, having the skills, so you feel like you have a safety net. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, you know, with, with emotional exposure or, or having better tolerance to distress, um, that, that takes time, right? So you, the more and more that you do it, uh, the more of a callus you get and that right. callus gets stronger and stronger. So you could tolerate for longer and longer. Exactly. And I think that's really where therapy can come in. So there are a lot of great self-help books out there. And I think once people go through those, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or DBT books on their own, and they're still feeling stuck, that's really where it's helpful to have a therapist guide you through. Because again, naturally, we avoid discomfort. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be a point where you might say like, I'm not going to do this or like, why would I do this? It does. It's really hard to get to that point. So having a therapist guide you through those exposures can be much more effective. Yeah, And when oftentimes when people are thinking about anxiety or, or other sorts of negative emotions, they think purely about the intensity of the anxiety and, and wanting to dial that down. But just like there's pain tolerance, there's anxiety and distress tolerance. So, uh, if you have more anxiety or distress tolerance, you're able to operate and tolerate higher levels of anxiety, distress tolerance, just like how people could tolerate different levels of pain. Yes. Yes. I actually, I, I love that. Cause I, I talk about your emotional kind of tolerance in terms of salsa Oh, and like the dancing yeah. or the food, <laughs> the food. So oh, the food, you know, if you give, <laughs> I was yeah, thinking so you dancing. Know, like, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's so funny. if like a ghost pepper, a ghost pepper is really freaking spicy. Mm-hmm. And if you give people a ghost pepper, most people will be like, this is really spicy and they will feel it. Like they, you know, their mouth will get inflamed. It will be red. But if you give some people like my friend, Jenny, mild salsa, she thinks it's really spicy, like a ghost pepper. She actually starts to, her mouth gets inflamed, it gets red. 
And so the idea here is we all have different tolerance to emotions and it's to keep eating the mild and the medium salsa to keep exposing yourself to those emotions so that at some point um, your tolerance for emotions will be mm-hmm. higher and then you can you can actually experience more without feeling the need to avoid or act impulsively. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess in a nutshell, um, it's not just about bringing down anxiety, but bringing up how much you could tolerate anxiety. And I keep saying anxiety, but also any sorts of, yeah. of distress. I just keep Emotion. saying anxiety because oftentimes people are coming in with anxiety, but there's anger, sadness, guilt, embarrassment, and you know the whole, whole list of negative emotions that this is, is true for. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So the whole idea is about exposing yourself, tolerating emotion. Um, and, and because we can't, unfortunately, we can't get rid of pain in our life, right? We can't, the sadness and anger and guilt, it's all hardwired and it's there for a really good reason. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to get rid of it completely. And so that's where the tolerance piece comes in. That's really important about how to have these emotions and still live the life that you want. And I think it also comes down to triggers. Like we always have triggers in our life. And I think a bad message is that, I mean, it's good to know what your triggers are. So if you could um, uh, reasonably um, avoid some triggers like that, 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 that's an okay model, but just avoiding triggers as a mantra is not a great thing. It's how do I, how do I um, regulate when I do, do hit a trigger with some reasonable trying to not you know, getting triggered too often. Yeah. And when you're saying that, I'm actually thinking, you know, if you go around the world trying to remove all of your triggers, then there's a part where you're actually fighting reality. And that's where radical acceptance comes in because there are triggers. So I think radical acceptance is accepting reality with your entire heart, body, and soul. There are triggers. There will be times that I have urges and I can experience these emotions and be okay. Mm-hmm. So by definition, so I think when a lot of people hear about radical acceptance, I mean, cause you hear the word radical meaning extreme acceptance being acceptance means I'm just going to accept everything in life. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <Like>, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, what is radical acceptance? Yeah. So radical acceptance is, this is where like, when you start to fight reality, um, or, or when you're kind of disconnected from reality, radical acceptance is basically just saying this is what it is. Like, this is the reality I'm living in. And it's using your mindfulness skills to know what reality is. So if, um, in order to going back to the example of me working from home in order to get to radical acceptance, I first have to be aware I'm in pain when I'm not at a desk. I have to be aware that I'm taking a lot of time to set up my workstation every day. So you use mindfulness to really be aware of what's going on. And then radical acceptance is with every ounce of your heart, soul, and body, just accepting this is reality. And then you're like, okay, what parts do I need to change? But first it's just accepting it as it is. See, I, I love how you're putting that kind of like in stages. So it's accepting the situation and then figuring out what you can change and trying to reasonably implement that change. Exactly. So acceptance doesn't mean do nothing. Right, right. Again, because I think if you're just dunking your head into a bowl of ice cold water, which is more of an acceptance skill, uh, your life problems will not be solved. Mm. Um, And 
and and I'm, I'm not sure if you have an answer for this, but how do you help people recognize what they can and can't change so they know what to focus their their energy on? Yeah. So first, sometimes, sometimes it's easy. Like sometimes they know what they can change and what they can't. The things that cause the most negative emotions are usually the things that are hardest to control. Mm -hmm. So it could be a recent breakup and you could be thinking logically, of course, I know that this is reality, but I think there's an emotional part where you're not fully accepting. So if you're, I might ask like, what, what are you doing? Like where, when you're feeling really sad, what are you actually about this relationship? What are you doing? So for some people, it could be rereading old text messages, or it could be fantasizing about getting back together. That's actually, those are signs that you're not fully accepting reality and, or, you know, fully accepting reality in the way that we think about radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. You might be, again, Logically saying like, okay, I'm not texting them, asking them to get back together, but emotionally you're not on board. And so it's first figuring out like, what are you doing? That's getting you feeling stuck, feeling icky or bringing up those negative emotions. And then it's about, okay, so the next time you have, you know, what would you be doing if you had fully accepted this breakup? You probably wouldn't be rereading old text messages. Got it. I I see. So yeah, you could use your behavior as sort of a thermometer for how much acceptance that you are having. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, you can look at the behaviors and then the emotions as well. So if you're feeling fine, you know, if you're feeling great, then, and you're not fully accepting reality, then it may not be as much of a problem for you. But if you're feeling really stuck in the negative emotions, that's my cue to look at what behaviors are you doing to make those emotions stay around longer. Mm-hmm. And one CBT skill that we do to try and figure out what what to focus on changing uh, is like a simple question. Can I put it in a to-do list and do it? Because if you can make a to-do list and do it, that means that it's something that that you could that you could change. Uh, yeah. Like for example, I I just resigned my my lease. Um, but if I was thinking like, oh, uh, I'm really worried where I'm going to live next year, and I say, well, can I put something on a to-do list that reasonably will help with that? The answer is no, because <laughs> yeah. no leasing yeah. agent is going to talk to me about a place in a year unless I'm looking to buy or some other. But say I'm looking to rent, so that's one. That's one technique. I mean, there's other techniques I use, but I really like because it's so simple. Can you make yes. a to-do list? And can you do that to-do list now or in the reasonable near future? Yeah. So I think, and I look, so I think with that too, right. If you're, if you're right now, I mean, my emotions are maybe, you know, in terms of fear, maybe I'm at like a three or four right now, maybe a three. And, and so you can ask me that question and I, I, it's very easily accessible. If I'm at a 10 out of 10, I might tell you, of course I can put these things on a to-do list. You know, I can put my whole career plan on a to-do list when my anxiety is at a 10 out of 10. So I think that's, again, like just where the DBT skills come in as your emotion mind might trick you that you're in wise mind. Gotcha. So, so you're, you're talking about bring it down so you can more adequately go into like a skill that I had talked about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, before the show, you had been talking also with acceptance, like acceptance of disappointment, um, acceptance of, um, maybe, and I know that you touched on this a bit, but acceptance on things that we can't, can't control. It sounds like you've been thinking and doing some work in this area as well. 
Yeah. So I think primarily with everything going on in the pandemic, there's been so much disappointment. You know, I think for high school students who seniors who couldn't have their prom, who couldn't have their graduation for college students who were in their first year of college and had to go home um, or for parents who are seeing their kids feel so sad about not having their birthday party or going to their friend's birthday party. I think there's just been so much disappointment. And, and so some I've like, really been thinking. And with adults like, though, also people like we're going to start a new job or people have been yeah. laid off or some people are going to try and have kids. And now they're worried, should I, should I try or not? And some people are choosing totally. not to. People have had to move out of places. So across the board, adults, kids, adolescents, there's a lot of loss or disappointment. Exactly. Yes. Like I, you know, for me, I had all these trips planned and it was super mm -hmm. disappointing. So many weddings, friends, weddings that were yep. postponed or canceled. I think there's just been disappointment everywhere, even like on Mother's Day, um, not being able to see my own mom or, mm -hmm. you know, not being able to just connect physically with people, I think has been really, really hard. So I've been thinking about ways to just actually deal with disappointment. And I think, again, naturally as humans, we like to avoid pain. And so there could be a part where we just push away or, or we may see behaviors that come up for us that we don't really like when we're feeling disappointed. But the idea is like to really, if you just sit with the emotion of disappointment, if you just accept that, and, and experience the disappointment, um, you can actually start to see the intensity of the disappointment start to decrease rather than to just avoid and think, nope, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. When really it's not. And you're really upset. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost like that acceptance piece or, or that um, sort of tolerating intense emotion, like it's tolerating the disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. It's like tolerating the disappointment, um, really experiencing it and allowing it to be there. And you can even ask yourself, like when I'm feeling really disappointed, what am I thinking? Where, like, what are the thoughts that are coming up for me that feel really disappointing? And if you can actually just track that, you can maybe write down when I'm feeling really disappointed, what am I thinking? What does it feel like in my body? Maybe you notice your heart rate starts to increase or your hands get sweaty. It's just about sitting in that for a moment um, and to recognize it's totally normal to feel disappointed right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now you're at this point where you're feeling it, you're, you're accepting it, you know, you feel that way and you're allowing it in. Uh, is there like a next step to, to help yeah. you with disappointment? So one thing that I actually did again for when I was, cause I, I started writing a blog. So I, I started writing about dealing with disappointment and then, right. Then I'm like, okay, cool. Now I felt my disappointment. Now what? I actually went into a gratitude exercise by thinking about a few things that I'm actually really grateful for right now. So, and, and actually spending some time on gratitude can actually increase positive emotions too. So with the dealing with disappointment, um, I wrote down that there, there are things I am grateful for. I'm grateful that I get to be around my dog all day long. Um, what type of dog do you have? He is, he's like a German shepherd Sheltie mix. He's a mutt. Mm. Um, but now and, and it's funny because I take him on so many walks that he just stops walking in the middle of the street now. <laughs> 
because I take him on way too many walks. Oh, so he's tired. He's like, I'm done lady. Bring me back. Yeah. He's like, stop (laughs) taking me on walks, but I love it. I'm like grateful for my dog because now I can actually get out of my house more. And I'm in Santa Monica. It's super nice out here with the blue skies. So I'm actually very grateful that I can be outside more, be mm-hmm. with my dog. And if you actually spend time thinking about the things you're grateful for, writing them down, um, five maybe five things when you're feeling disappointed and just focusing on that, it can actually, again, like improve your mood or at least improve the moment. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like that's part of like a, taking like a perspective taking. So like yeah. you're focused on, but you're taking perspective on the the positives in your life. And do you guys do anything else with, with perspective taking? Yeah. So I think with perspective taking, I mean, it could look like a lot of different ways for the gratitude. You definitely are shifting your perspective of, um, and I think part of it is not the, the perspective shifting isn't avoiding or negating the disappointment. Mm -hmm. It's more once you've experienced it fully and you're like, okay, now what? Um, But perspective taking is really helpful when you're thinking more negatively. So if you're having certain thoughts of I'm a failure or I'll never be able to do this perspective taking is you know, becoming a detective, putting your detective hat on and looking for alternative facts or evidence to see if your thought is supported or not. Mm-hmm. So like, um, yeah, I see a bit being, I, I usually say like a scientist. Um, yeah. but yeah, my, mine's a little bit more nerdier. <laughs> it's a bit more fun <laughs> as a detective, but yeah. So what, what proves this point? What doesn't prove this point? And let's look at all that data, like a scientist or a detective and come to some sort of conclusion. Yeah, exactly. Cause even with the disappointment, like there could be things where you actually have maybe some uh, distorted thoughts or maybe some more negative thinking patterns or mind traps. Those are Mm -hmm. all kind of different ways to say the same thing. But when you're in a depressed mood, your mind has more negative thinking. And so we can't, you know, we want to put a little bit of distrust into those thoughts and actually become a detective or scientist and look for all of the evidence to say and to notice if that thought actually is true or not true or helpful. And something we just like we have confirmation bias, uh, cognitive filter confirmation bias that when you're feeling down, you have a bias towards seeing and accepting negative things. um, And you have a bias towards rejecting or disqualifying or not even attending to positive things. So I think this also helps with that cognitive filter confirmation bias because you're saying, okay, I'm going to look for the positives. Um, in order to bring that in because the natural state is pushing it out. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think even remembering like when we're um, to, right, it's, we just take in all of those negative, negative data. And when we think back, it's just easy for us to think back to times um, that we, you know, just going with the failure theme, it's then easier to think back to times when you have failed. And it's really hard to think of times when you've succeeded or done something well. Yeah. And I think, um, disqualifying positives is actually an important principle here because it's easy. Sometimes even if it's not easy, you could remember times that you succeeded, but you could then, 
uh, shut it down by by disqualifying it. And the funny phrase that we say, like, mind your butts, because you'll say blah, 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 but blah. So like, for example, someone says, hey, Jason, you, you look nice today. And I say, oh, but Jen's just a nice person. So she would say that anyway. So I, I, I yeah. completely threw away the compliment with a butt statement. It doesn't have to be a butt, but I often phrase it into a butt. But we do it all the time. Um, and so yeah. in the failure model, well, I was able to uh, graduate this thing, but so did you know, 10,000 other people. So. Yep. I like the mind your butts. It's a, it's a good way to think about it. And we do it all the time. And I think even right. Just bringing awareness to the fact that, you know, I like the phrase mind your butts because then when you're living in life and you notice yourself saying, but it can actually kind of cue you to think about it a little differently. Yeah. How you're disqualifying the positives. And, you know, one technique I'll do in the therapy session where I often have people log against their, their night, like I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough or whatever it might be. I'm not good enough at my job. I'll log the opposites and I'll go through, okay, like what are the things that you wanted to put down, but then you said that they don't count. And then we'll go through and see if they minded their butts. And sometimes they, uh, they were right to disqualify it because it, it wasn't a really good piece of evidence, but there's a ton of times where the person has thrown something out where really, if the filter wasn't so strong, they would have seen that that was actually a pretty good piece of evidence. Yeah, totally. I think our minds and, and our mood can just kind of take over sometimes. That's why I call them mind traps too. Cause it really does trap our mind when you, when you are in a certain emotion or a certain space that that's the data that you see. So becoming a detective or a scientist to look at all the evidence, um, it sounds easy, but it actually can be really challenging sometimes to think of everything. You know, you're not disqualifying, you're taking in all of the alternatives or all possibilities to look at. All right. So with the disappointment, we have first step is taking the acceptance, feeling it, accepting it, not disqualifying the way that you're feeling or saying that you shouldn't feel a certain way. And then doing a focusing on what you're grateful for. And then also within the disappointment, looking at how, um, whether or not you're completely accurate with your thoughts of disappointment. Um, were there any other techniques that came to mind on, on what you've been talking to people about in this area for taking those next steps? Yeah. And I just, I want to go back to, to the, the gratitude thing, because I think the gratitude aspect of it could be something helpful, but it's not necessarily like whenever you're feeling disappointment to go through the gratitude exercise, I can, I just think it could be a way if you're in that space and you're feeling more stuck to actually, again, just look at it a little bit differently. Um, but that's not to say that you, you always have to do a gratitude exercise when, when you are feeling disappointment. Um, and ju- just at the end, um, um, do you have any resources or plugs that you want people to connect to? Like, for example, your blog, if people want to keep reading oh. about what you're doing or seeing what you're doing or anything that you're going to be like presenting that might be online, like how can people see more of you? Yeah, so definitely. I have a website and it's my first name, last name.com, Erica Rosmead.com. So it's just E-R-I-C-A-R-O-Z mid.com. And I have a blog going and I'm going to be updating some of the workshops and may actually put on some of the slides for these skills that I've been teaching online so that people can access them for free. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Um, and, um, 
uh, and, and you might not have any now, but if there are there any resources that you think would be helpful for people, whether it's like a book or a website or something that you would recommend and all these things that you're talking about, I'll put in the show notes. And if there's something afterwards that comes to mind, I could also add those into the show notes afterwards. I'm just wondering if there's anything that popped up. Yeah. So I think for, in terms of the, the DBT books, I, a lot of the books that I use are really within a therapy model. So those are the books that you would actually go to a therapist and see. Um, there aren't any self-help books within DBT that I've used, but for CBT, there's, you know, thinking about tools that you can actually go through on yourself. I, I one, I really like if you're feeling more depressed is mind over mood. That's mm. a really great self-help book. And recently I've been actually listening to some podcasts and reading a book called Overcoming. This is kind of separate, Overcoming Intrusive Obsessive Thoughts. And it's about like, we have, we all have thoughts that we don't like. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, thinking about thoughts you have when you're at a 10 out of 10 out of emotion and ways to have the thoughts and still do what you need to do. And it's kind of similar to having emotions and still living the life that you want. So those are two that I like, and I'll, I'll send you some others uh, that are more maybe DBT related self-help books after. Okay, great. Well, I really appreciate you, uh, being on the show, I think these were amazing topics and amazing points for are the current times because it's so relevant. But I think that these go way beyond the current the current situation. I think people use a lot of these skills just throughout the lifetime at most age ranges. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I really appreciate you bringing me on the show. Again, I would encourage everyone to try if you're if you are going to think about trying these skills out to know it is like getting a six pack, which is hard. You don't just wake up one day and have a six pack. Six you have pack to work abs, really not hard. Like a six pack yeah. of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what, what am I not a six pack of years, six okay. packs of abs and you have to work really hard, but it's worth it. And it will, it can definitely bring you some more emotional freedom. All right. Well, thanks for coming on and, and uh, we'll keep in touch and hopefully another time you'll be able to come on the show and talk about some other, you know, topics that you've been uh, working on. Okay, great. Thank you so much.